message this morning comes from John 20, verses 1 through 18. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciples set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there, and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabuni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Christ is risen. Okay, I thought uh, Wes had prompted a little better, so let's try that again. Christ is risen. Yes, uh, happy Easter. It's a uh, so, uh, love Easter. In fact, uh, I love it so much that uh, I only wear my this uh, nice little frilly thing. It's called a uh, chasuble. I only wear it for Christmas Easter, so it didn't matter when we were looking at which service I was preaching at. I knew I had to wear it because Christmas, I mean, excuse me, Easter is well, the, the Easter lilies are poking out, the colors that everybody wears, the brightness of the eyes that are I mean, just Easter is just comes alive. And um, has that opportunity. I'm one of those um, pastors. I actually prefer uh, wearing the vestments. Uh, it's another reminder, at least for me, that when I stand in this space that I'm not preaching for me or anything except for 
they encounter the word and the listen of what, you know, uh, what is the people, the congregation that gathers here and what can most move them. It's uh, another reminder, so I can't get enough of another layer to add that reminder. And so it's also been an um, interesting week for myself and Bruce before the 8.30 service, we were talking about the week that we've had, and each of us have had weddings of celebration and joy and opportunities of laughter, but have also encountered, yeah, tragedy, um, death unexpectedly, people dealing with all sorts and everything in between. And so it makes this coming alive moment of Easter, yeah, a little bittersweet in some moments. Um, so what I'd like to do is to look at the ways that we we're in that mixture of that place between being awakened and then kind of, um, if you would, our eyes forget to see. Um, For adults, sometimes the fears can be complex and words of reassurance are harder to come by. Somebody that says Christ arose, we're like, he is risen indeed. You know, we're, we're not so sure. Ernest Hemingway put it this way, He said, as we get older, we cannot escape the realization that life breaks everyone at some time or another, or at the very least, wears one down relentlessly. As adults, we live in an increasing sense that, well, death is sometimes greedy, Um, eventually claiming people we love. We know how the world works. If someone tells us, don't be afraid, we get very suspicious. You know, like that voice on the intercom that says, ladies and gentlemen, you will have noticed that we are experiencing an unusual amount of turbulence. No reason for alarm, which, I'll be honest, I'm usually not worried until they announce that, right? <laughs> so then I begin to worry. Um, our lives have lots of difficulty, um, especially South Mississippi. We've experienced hurricanes, tornadoes, um, strange viruses, uh, wars, relatives getting sick, jobs don't pan out, politicians, teachers, and yes, even preachers turn out to be less than they seem. All of life is subject to the painful realities. It's almost like Psalm 30, which says, help me, dear God, I'm frightened and have lost my way. And so we begin here, this Easter story, because I believe that's where the disciples began. They've lost their way, there's darkness, there's pain, there's grief, there's sorrow. And we encounter the Easter story today in the Gospel of John. Now, if you're not familiar much with John, John is the mystical one. He's the one who loves to see something much deeper. And he plays with lots of images and metaphors. And he asks us at the very beginning, so as you're listening, here's a few questions. What do you see on Easter morning when we look into the empty tomb? Do you see God present and at work in the darkness? Do you see him bringing new life and new meaning into a dead-end world? Do we go away from the tomb just as lost and just as empty as when we arrived? Or do we go back home to live unawakened lives? Um, For the three characters we meet this morning's gospel, for Peter, John, and Mary— Life had become a dead end. All their hope was gone. The events of those last few days in Jerusalem had crushed them. They had hoped that Jesus was going to free them, free them from the Roman army, free them from so much oppression, free them so much, and had given them so much hope. And yet, 
those past week, the hope was dash. By Friday, they were left alone, and a real sense of hopelessness had set in. From a safe distance, Peter had watched his hopes unravel. He watched Jesus being arrested and tried, watched him mocked by the crowd, spit on by the soldiers. He watched as they stripped him, beat him, and finally nailed his broken body to a cross. Peter watched from the shadows while his teacher and friend died an agonizing and humiliating death of a criminal. Not only that, but before Jesus died, Peter had the added pain of three times denying that he had ever known Jesus. When today's gospel opens, I doubt if Peter had left, well, much left to live for, to be honest. Maybe he reached a place like some of those stories that I mentioned earlier, feeling utterly hopeless, feeling as if he might as well be dead too. Now, the reading of John begins this way, in the half-light of the morning. You know, half-light, when things are not all the way dark, but things are beginning to lighten up, and you're still, it's kind of like waking up in the morning when your eyes are adjusting, and your heart is still crying off out for that first cup of coffee, right? You know, half-light, right? When someone comes knocking on Peter's door, and at first Peter thinks maybe it's the Roman soldiers coming to arrest him, but Peter, you know, he recognizes the voice. It's his friend Mary, and she's crying. She's historical. And uh, she says something about a stone being moved, Jesus' body taken away, doesn't know where they've taken him. So Peter gets up, um, and John gets the courage to go with him, and they start running to the tomb. Peter's going yeah, as fast as probably Peter can go, <laughs> which means naturally that he's passed up by the other disciple. Uh, can't keep up. The reading says that John stops, and he's the first one to look into the tomb, but he doesn't go in. Uh, he sees only the burial clothes of Jesus scattered on the floor. And the writer adds he doesn't go in. He waits for the more senior, but obviously slower, Peter. And when Peter does arrive, he runs straight into the tomb, because that's, well, Peter. Just like John, he too sees the strips of burial cloths on the floor. But now we're given an added detail. We're told that Peter also sees the cloth they used to cover Jesus' head. And it's lying rolled up in a corner by itself. The writer adds, Peter wonders what all of this means because that's, that's more than just someone taking Jesus. There was care with it. There was caution wasn't just thrown haphazardly, but tucked, if you would. As John enters the tomb, he sees all these things as well. And the gospel writer makes that point of saying this, he sees and he believes. So here's the first one. <laughs> he sees and he believes. But while the writer tells us about John, notice that we're never told about Peter. We're never told whether he believed then or not. There's a strong implication with the way that it's written and in the original wording that Peter doubted, that he wasn't so sure. There's almost an illusion, if you would, that Peter is now denying Jesus a fourth time. So while John believes, and while perhaps Peter is a little lost, 
Neither one of them understood what had happened, the story goes. So they left the tomb for their way back home. Then it's Mary who comes back a second time to the tomb. Peter and John now gone, and she's alone, and she's crying. And then, just like Peter and just like John, the writer now adds a little more to the story. She, too, bends down and peeks into the tomb. By now, we're probably trying to catch on with the, what's happening. Um, three people look in an empty tomb. Three people come away with three very different things. Three people look. Looking as if you would with eyes of faith. Um, now, here's what the gospel writer is up to. He's really trying to point back to you and I. He's asking us, what do we see? What do we see when we look into the empty tomb? Do we see through the eyes of faith and suddenly believe? Or do we look and go away kind of wondering, doubting? Or do we walk away hopeless just as when we had arrived? So, I want you to imagine for a moment. Stop for a moment and imagine if you're before the empty tomb. And that empty tomb for you represents any pain, any loss, any horror that you may have faced. You might even feel your feet sink into the fear, the numbness, the despair. And then imagine, imagine those things beginning to slip from your grasp and, your, and through your fingers. Perhaps feel the armor of your anger stripped away as you hear the good news. He is not here. The power of death has been overthrown. Do not stay here in this tomb, but go back out there and speak life, speak hope. I don't know, in the moment that I ask, there might be even a part of you that still wants to go back and grasp some of that despair, reaching maybe for the tatters of a little more anger. Um, and I'll admit, I'll admit at times I feel those things too. It's a temptation that wants to pull us, to trap us in fear and in anger. Um, but then we hear the call of the empty tomb of life and hope and creation pulls us for more. That more can be a life of peace and of grace, a kind of peace that, that, yeah, that tells us that we don't have to make friends with the loss because Christ is pulling us to something more, something that we never knew could be, a healing that takes over, that moves us and makes us to something new. Pay attention because this is one of the missing parts that rarely gets put up about the resurrection. The resurrection isn't a returning to what was. Notice Jesus doesn't appear and then say, all right, let's go back to you walking and learning. No. The resurrection isn't a return to like glory days. The resurrection is an invitation to what will be. Not for what will one day be, but will what be right now. 
It's at this point that in the story we re-encounter Mary as she peeks in, and her vision is totally different. She sees two heavenly messengers, two angels, one seated where Jesus' head had rested and the other where his feet had been. And these messengers ask Mary, why are you so sad? Why are you crying? Um, In Luke's story, the angels say this, why do you look for the living among the dead? Her faith is um, wrapped up in trying to find Jesus again. And she says, if you've moved him, tell me where you put him so I can take him away. And it's just then that she supposes that she sees something. It's the glance over and it's a gardener. She's so focused on finding Jesus that she misses. So once again, she goes, please, if you've moved him, tell me where you've put his body so I can take him away. And then listen. Listen to what happens next in the story. Because this is the key. The man she thinks is the gardener simply says her name, Mary. That's all he says, only her name, Mary. And as soon as she hears him, she recognizes instantly who he is. And what the gospel writer tells us that scene is simply this. If we want to experience the mystery of Easter, the mystery of Easter, is that leaning in and listening to know that Christ is calling our name as well. To live a life in which that resurrection moment takes hold and we live into a newness of faith in which we set forward one foot in front of the other into something new, something we couldn't imagine. You know, when it seems that all of life is crashing down, it seems that we want to go back, back you know, backwards again. That Jesus of Nazareth now is now Jesus the Christ who calls us for, who's raised him up on that Easter morning. Easter is that reminder from God to stop looking backwards. Stop pouring over the past and let go, turn around. And when we do, we meet Jesus standing right there. And we can meet Jesus anywhere and everywhere. When Jesus was alive, he brought people hope. He especially brought hope to the hopeless. He brought it to the poor, to the outcasts, to the tax collectors and the prostitutes. He brought it to the very ones who had been most cut off and shut off from their community. They had told they weren't worthy to be with God, and they believed that lie. When Jesus came in their lives, he told them that they were worth more than they could ever imagine. He said they were God's very own sons and daughters, worth more to him than they would ever know. And did all of that die with Jesus on the cross? Well, that's the question we're asked this Easter. That's the question that he asked of three people in this story. It's the same Easter question God asks of us. And if we can listen in our morning quiet time, we can hear Jesus calling our name. And just let him whisper our name even once and instantly we recognize the voice like Mary. It'll be a voice that sounds strangely familiar. Maybe the voice begins like an older brother or wise old friend or teacher. It'll be the voice that tells us we're forgiven, that we're loved, that we're forgiven and loved in spite of anything and everything we've ever done or even failed to do. That's the Easter story. That's our story. That's what looked to all the world as failure and death, but put into God's hands 
becomes new life. And so we too stoop down and look into the empty tomb. This time we don't look with eyes of despair, but with eyes of faith. We stand in the tomb, we stand in the midst of broken relationships, lost jobs, hard choices, crippling self-doubt. We stand in the face of war, poverty, devastation, self-injustice all around the world. We stand and we hear the angel say, he is not here. The power of death has been overthrown, so do not stay here in the tomb, but go back out there and speak life and hope. Speak life, speak hope, because speaking danger and despair is what truly destroys us. Because life is too short and too precious. Speak life, speak hope, because getting turned inside out is actually a small price to pay for living a resurrected life. So each of every one of us stands here tonight. God raised up and brought us into a new life with him. A life he now asks us to go out and share with our brothers and sisters, to go to them and tell them the good news. The tomb is empty. Our hearts are full. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will. Christ has risen. He is risen indeed. Happy Easter. Amen and amen. So let us pray. Um, Father, as our eyes sometimes become, um, yeah, glossed over by seeing the cross and by seeing the many crosses that we do bear. Grant us eyes of Easter that we see an empty tomb and we see newness as you call us to live that out in hope and in glory, knowing that, well, that you can only do for us what we could not do for ourselves. And so through hope, through love, and through grace, we give you thanks, both now and always. Amen.